Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host, Dennis Simpson, as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. Thank you for joining us with another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out with our guest again today, Mr. Greg Jones. Greg, how's it going? Good, Dennis. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And our co-host, Mr. Randy Contrell in the blistering hot Dallas. Got that right. It's toasty warm, isn't it? It's more than toasty. Well, I tell you what, I've been reading on this whole web book thingy that they got this whole social webs and stuff. And apparently this Greg Jones guy is just like, a problem. You know, he just keeps starting all these problems, right? I don't Maybe it's not that way. Maybe it's not that way. Maybe we'll let, we'll let Mr. Greg speak for himself. We, we've been hearing a lot of things about a lot of the different restaurants around and what's the, what's the, what's the environment? What's the landscape? What's the lay of the land these days? Yeah. I mean, Dennis, you know, I mean, it's right now the restaurant business in general is difficult everywhere, right? It's not something that's, Local to Hot Springs Village, even the other restaurateurs here in Hot Springs Village have these same problems. Uh, you know, we're all struggling to hire enough staff to deal with supply chain logistics issues, uh, price price increases that seem to happen like overnight. Uh, you know, on on various food items, uh, it, it is a real challenge in restaurant business right now, trying to do that and you know, operate as we do, we have, you know, seven outlets. So we're trying to operate quite a few restaurants with about 85 employees. I mean, we have a pretty big staff. So it's, it's a big challenge right now, just trying to keep, you know, at the level of service and the food quality, everything that we want to have for our company. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult right now. Well, I was going to, I assume the big problem would be labor, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just one of the components. Oh yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tell you about labor. I mean, we spent, about $1,400 just in recruiting fees last month uh, to try to, to just to fill the funnel with people that we could even talk to about working here. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, you know, right now there are so many people that have left the restaurant industry completely. I and mean, we've lost several people that have gone to drive for Amazon or, you know, or do other things work for Best Buy. I mean, you can right now the job market's so tight, you know, you can pretty much pick what you want to do. Um, and you know, one of the things we, we probably talked to about, I think we talked to, we had 20 some odd people apply last week. We talked to 12 of those people in person. The other eight didn't respond after kind of multiple tries. We talked to 12 of them. We brought eight of them in. We we scheduled interviews for those 12 out of those 12, half of them came in for an interview, half, half, six, we offered four of those a job and two of them showed up on the first day. So from the 12, you thought you had, you ended up with two. And, and, you know, the other challenge is let's hope that those two work out and they stay a long <laughs> time, but there's really not, you know, there's really not a, a, a good metric. I mean, we had, we've had uh, people and especially, you know, some of the folks that, you know, haven't been working much lately and now they've got to get back in the job market and they got to work. Uh, we had uh, somebody we hired as a dishwasher last week. He came in to work, worked one day and said, oh, this is too hard. Uh, too I'm not hard. Coming back tomorrow. Too hard. You've got 85 people, Greg. What's, what's full strength for you? Probably around 105-ish right now. Uh, and that's why you know people ask all the time about why we don't have all the restaurants open for dinner, why we don't have all the, you know, the same hours that they may have had before. And, and it's really all about staffing. I mean, I do not have enough people to operate all these restaurants seven days a week, the hours that I even I want to operate them. Well, this explains um, so much. I just thought you were a cheap SOB. I didn't know you really just didn't have enough people. <laughs> I mean, who knew, Greg? Who knew, right? I mean, you got to realize out of the seven locations that we have, we have five of them that operate seven days a week, right? Oh. I mean, so it, it, that's a lot of staff it takes to run seven days a week, these locations. So, you know, it's a, it's a real, real challenge on trying to get people, hire them. And then, of course, the next step is train them, right? It, that takes time. You know, we really need our customers to be pretty patient in a lot of cases because <laughs> we have a lot of new staff. 
you know, my experience staff obviously always gets great ratings. They've worked for me for a very long time and they're trying to train these new folks. Some of them have never been in this industry before. Right. And so it takes time. So, you know, we just need our customers to kind of be a little bit patient with us in some of these some of these areas right now as we try to get the right mix of staff, you know, at, at the various restaurants. Walk us through that decision-making process, Greg. So you've got a, somebody calls 10 minutes before the shift mm -hmm. and now you do what? Yeah, exactly. And that, that seems to happen fairly often, pretty much. It, it's going to happen more or less probably once every day somewhere. Um, we do try to cross train all of our staff to work at all the locations. And so if we get enough advance notice, I can probably get somebody in to cover that shift. But if they call in 10 minutes or they don't call in at all, which happens too, right? I mean, it's really hard for me to get someone to come to work that one wasn't scheduled to work, may live 20, 30 minutes away, right? Even if I could get them here. And by the time they would get here, you know, it may be almost too late, right? So it's, it's a real challenge getting, you know, getting folks in the right place at the right time to provide the right level of service that we want to have for our guests. Well, if I can, I, and I, I've seen this because I know this is going on with everybody, but, you know, the, the, the new people that are coming to work, they don't always have childcare. They don't That's always right. have transportation or, I mean, exactly. there's a lot of new challenges for them, just like there's new challenges for you. Absolutely. And, you know, another, you know, one of the other kind of misconceptions too, you know, especially in the restaurant industry is people like, well, people that work in the restaurant industry don't make much money. Well, that's, that's completely false. <laughs> um, at, at this point we're paying, you know, we, a lot of people talk about this $15 minimum wage. I wish I had a lot of people that made less than $15 an hour. <laughs> I really do. Um, we don't, uh, you know, we, we're offering hiring bonuses for people. We offer referral bonuses to our employees know, $250 if they bring somebody in, uh, you know, we are not trying to, you know, operate like the old way restaurants did, which in Arkansas, the minimum wage for restaurant employees is $2 and 63 cents. What? $2 and 63 cents. How, how, how long they ago was wage. that? How long ago was that? Three it's years? still true. You can, I could, I could hire people if I could find them and pay them $2 <laughs> and 63 cents if they're a service tipped wage employee in the state of Arkansas. Unfortunately, no one's going to come to work for that rate anymore. And I don't blame them, truthfully. Um, and we've never paid anybody that low. We've always paid up three to four times that at least, you know, plus a really good high, you know, number of tips that they get. You know, our service employees are making $25, $35, $40 an hour, most of them, right? Uh, you know, the village is very generous, you know, with tipping at, at our locations, which is great. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not about the wages really so much. Um, it's not we're trying to lower all people wages or hire them cheap or anything else. It's just you just can't find the people. Right. So, you know, when people talk about the $15 minimum wage, I think it's already here. I don't think that that's a future thing. I think that's here now. Uh, you know, even dishwashers, I mean, everything. Right. So, you know, I, I think that that's something that, you know, drives a lot of other dynamics in the restaurant business, including menu prices. Right. I mean, we have to cover, you figure that you know, in the last year, our labor cost has gone up about probably close to 20%. And the state had a 10% increase in the minimum wage to begin with. So anyone we had that was down at that level automatically got a 10% raise. And then if you look at what we're having to pay to hire new people, we're well above that now. So, you know, all of those things flow through, you know, to the menu and to the pricing. And some of it, you know, I mean, a lot of restaurants have been tr trying to absorb some small amounts, especially with all the food and logistic you know, price changes, but at some point you can't do that anymore. Right. I mean, you, you just, you have to raise the prices. It has to be, you know, relative to what the cost is. And, and I think you're seeing that happen much faster in the larger cities, uh, you know, and even the bigger chain restaurants you're seeing that's going up really fast. Um, that's coming here too. I mean, it's just a kind of the, the nature of what's going to have to happen. And unfortunately it's, you know, inflation and all these other things are leading to you know, higher cost of whether you eat out at a restaurant or you buy groceries at Walmart, the prices are going up. This will be the new normal? For sure. And I think it's going to last for a while. I mean, I, I get supply chain logistics updates every Friday from our vendors. Um, many of them are telling us that things aren't going to even come close to what we would call a normal cycle until sometime in 2022. Um, 
and every week there's some new little thing that for some reason you can't get anymore. Uh, picante sauce this week was a big one, right? So you want to buy picante sauce? Not not going to happen, right? Was this was this the National Picante Sauce Weekend Convention or something? <laughs> I don't, I don't or know. Luckily, we make our own salsa, so it doesn't affect us. But tomatoes do, and tomatoes was on the list last week. Canned tomatoes is a problem, you know. And any of these weather events that you see about fires in California, all of these things have huge effects on the supply chain, and you know it drives pricing. Uh, you know the 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 whole issue with vaccines and some of these big factories requiring vaccinations from some of their employees. And so that's causing production issues with them. You know, I, I got something today that, you know, that said basically ribeye steaks are going up about a dollar a pound a week. Right. Week. I mean, it's just what it is. Right. And, you know, some, you know, larger retailers like Walmart, they can buffer against that because they're buying gazillion pounds and stocking it up somewhere, but restaurants can't do that. Right. So, if it goes up a dollar a pound a week, that means my cost of everything I buy next week is a dollar higher, right? If I buy more ribeye steaks, right? So, so how has all this affected your menus? Yeah, so it has affected our menus. We've had to drop items off the menus that we couldn't get. Um, we've had to raise prices on menu items. Um, you know, for example, the Beehive, which is our gastropub, we used to sell like crazy chicken wings over there. Um, we did a great smoked chicken wing. We'd have people come in and buy whole sheet pans full of chicken wings. And we could sell them for, you know, $1.50 a piece, whole chicken wings, not just the little pieces. We had to stop selling those months ago because the price of chicken wings went up to about a dollar, about $125 a case, where it was about $40 a case. You know, I mean, for, for chicken wings, to pay $3 for a chicken wing, right? I mean, you get to the point where it's like just the consumers won't pay that. And does, you know? it, does it just change? I mean, you're, you're watching these like it's a stock market, I guess. Yeah. But I mean you're, you're, you just, you're, you have obviously no say so over this. You just get to see what Monday reveals, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I get these supply chain updates from our vendors. So they have a little bit of, you know, leeway, but they don't get a lot of notice from the vendors they buy from. Well, right? I mean, I, the, the latest one that, you know, we buy a lot of product from, you know, food vendors and, you know, my biggest food vendor this last week said that their fill rate from their suppliers is only around 84%. So they can't get the food even to sell to me, <laughs> right? Well, so it, it, it's a challenge and it's not only food, it's beer, it's wine, you know, seafood, it's everything. And it, well, everything I, I, had, I had even heard, food. I think somebody had mentioned yeah. that there, there was even equipment issues like this. Oh, for sure. We, uh, we're, we're trying to get a new charbroiler at our lakeside restaurant because we want to do some better end steaks and do some real charbroil steaks down there. We ordered that about a month ago. It was on a uh, somewhere between a 12 to 16 week lead time for something we used to just be able to go to the supply house and buy. Just right? take your truck and go get yeah. one. Yeah. And it's like Randy, you know, Randy was telling me earlier about his parts out on his freezer. You know, you better hope you don't have to buy a new freezer because you're probably looking <laughs> at three, four, five months to get one of those. And even the parts may be hard to get, right? Because I mean, here's it, the deal. You can buy parts, but eventually, but you might not be able to get a whole one anytime soon, right, Randy? Yeah, I mean, it's just going to depend on where those parts are in the supply chain because not only is the manufacturing a problem, but shipping is a problem, right? I mean, a few weeks ago, there was a dire shortage of pallets, right? They were trying to get pallets from anywhere they could find pallets from, right? Because they didn't have pallets to put stuff on to ship it on a truck. Right. So it, it's every week. It's something kind of interesting around that. So well, I had, a, I had a guy tell me that party barges were really cheap, but you couldn't buy any motors. Yeah. I'm, like, well, <laughs> I'm not that, I'm not yeah. that good at paddling. I am not yeah. that good at paddling. That's a big boat, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, that's just kind of, you know, kind of goes with the territory of the restaurant business and I'm, I'm certainly fine and signed up for that. Right. And, you know, but it has been really difficult. It's not only difficult for us, but it's difficult for every restaurateur, right? I mean, whether you're big or small, single, multi, multinational, you know, it doesn't matter. Everyone's got these problems and we're all trying to figure our way to kind of navigate through them as best we can, um, you know, and hoping that our customers will be somewhat patient. I mean, you can, if you go to Sonic, you'll see on the, on the screen at Sonic, it says, we're very sorry if we may be out of certain items, you know, that are your favorites. We say that a lot too, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's not, and it's not because we're not trying to get it, you know, I mean, and, and it's, and it's all kinds of things. I mean, you know, we have people that have their favorite, your, their, their favorite spirit, right. And they'll come in and it's like, well, what do you mean you don't have that? I mean, I could go get it at the liquor store. 
I said, well, you know, we can't buy from the liquor store. We have to buy from distribution and there's none in the distribution channel. And so we don't have any, uh, you know, but it's not from a lack of trying. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it tends to, I, I think that a lot of customers, you know, that, that, that people that go to restaurants don't kind of think about the larger picture of the logistics of the supply chain, you know, especially for someone that's, you know, we can't like go buy stuff at Sam's. I mean, we're too big, we're huge, right? I and mean, we can't do that stuff. And even those problems, you know, people that buy from them, they can't get stuff. I mean, I know a couple of barbecue guys that were doing brisket, right? And they stopped doing brisket because brisket at Sam's went to like $9 a pound, you know, and you only get half of that in yield. I mean, so you're going to charge $20 a pound for smoked brisket, you know, who's, who's going to buy that? Sooner than later, Greg, don't, don't you think that your customers, everybody's customers, I mean, they're going to, they're going to acclimate. They haven't yet. Mm-hmm. But we all know all of us, cause all of us, we're also customers mm-hmm. or other, we're all having to acclimate to this. Sure. It's going to happen. Right. right. I mean, how are it, you find, how are you finding it like on a daily basis? I mean, what, how would you describe the temperament of, of the public? I mean, I would say people are generally understanding. I mean, they're starting to, they, they hear this in the news. They hear things about inflation and, and all the issues with, you know, COVID and, and what have you. And so. I think they are definitely starting to, you know, understand the kinds of issues that we face um, because anywhere they go, they're going to see this. I mean, when they go to the grocery store and they can't buy chicken, right? I mean, it's the same that we can't buy chicken, right? Um, so, I mean, I think they're starting to understand more of that, um, you know, and as the bigger chains are, you know, they're, they're going to be pushing a lot of that as well, right? I mean, there's things, like I said, it's on it, you know, it says on the screen, if we're out of what your favorite, we're very sorry right? It, it, it just is what it is. And so, you know, I, I think it is becoming kind of the new normal, at least it's probably going to be this way for the rest of this year, uh, is my guess. Uh, everyone I talk to in the food industry, or they're all saying that they don't anticipate us getting to some sort of normal status this year, just because of all the shortages and, you know, everything else that that's associated with all the items in the food chain. And, you know, you think about a restaurant, we use a lot of, a lot of variety of items, everything from plastic cups to plates, to knives, to, you know, up, up through produce and seafood and all kinds of things. And all of those somewhere, you know, there's an effect, right? I mean, just look at, you know, we did a lot of takeout over the last year during COVID. And now what do we see a huge shortage in? Takeout containers right? And the price is doubled on takeout containers. I was about to ask, I wondered if takeout <laughs> containers were one of them. And I, I'm really just off the cuff because, you know, what, what happened is, is that obviously last year in the spring before COVID blew up and everything, you know, they had a normal supply chain of thousands of millions of, of takeout containers, right. huge run on takeout containers. Mm-hmm. Now we're opening the restaurants back up and you can't find takeout containers. Right. I mean, we, we deal with that every week. There's something we can't get. Right. And so, you know, whether we, we've probably changed vendors on takeout containers 10 times in the last few months, just because this vendor will have it and this one won't. And that, you know, even that generates its own challenges, right? <laughs> because you would really think that there would be a standard metric on like cup lids, but there's not. <laughs> so if you buy the cups from vendor A, you got to buy the lids from vendor A. You buy the cups from vendor B, you got to buy the lids from vendor B. So you wind up with a bunch of cups from vendor A and a bunch of lids from vendor B. And I was like, now what do we do with that stuff? You know, we got to wait for vendor A to get some lids or we got to order some, you know, some more cups from vendor B. I mean, it's, it's all just crazy. And you know, what happened was, you know, when the COVID did hit, right. Everybody really backed off production, right. All the restaurants closed and a lot of them, some still closed quite a few actually probably permanently closed. Um, And so a lot of the supply chain seriously contracted and then, when things started opening up, I mean, it opened up in a huge way, like almost overnight, much faster than they could react. Right. I mean, and that's sort of the same sort of thing that we see at the restaurant. Right. I mean, we went from, you know, a, a, you know, a, a business that was, you know, decent. I mean, we could survive on to like, okay, it's the middle of summer and all the tourists are here and we got to figure out how to serve, you know, the 8,000 people at Lakeside this month. Right. And much less, much less give them a to-go container for everything else. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so, I mean, it, it, it went from zero to a hundred, you know, as soon as everybody thought they could get out and start, you know, having fun again and everything opened up and it just went crazy. And so 
that's driven suppliers crazy because they had they had contracted so much. So you think about everything upstream, right? That you know they had to buy to make the thing that they were going to sell, yeah. and all the vendors all the way up the stream had all contracted, and so there just wasn't any supply left. Well, I'll take this, Greg, through the through the locations, if you would, just just the the current status and maybe even what you see coming down the pike. Yeah, sure. And, and Greg, so, if I can, I just yeah. want to interrupt for one sec. I, I wanted to, I wanted us to start on the west end. I wanted to ask about that real quick. You mentioned something just a moment ago, and I apologize, I really do. But you mentioned something the other day that you can't buy from the liquor store across the street. And and the I wanted to start with Croco's here in a minute, which is fab, fabulous on the west end. But the reason that space became available is because that little Italian restaurant decided yeah, they, they could, didn't have an issue kind of related to where they were purchasing some alcohol. Yeah, I, th- I think um, they uh, that's what we had heard. I'd heard that yeah, they went across yeah. and just I mean, and who wouldn't, Randy? I mean, I need alcohol. I'm going to go across the street and buy alcohol. There's an alcohol <laughs> store. I bring it in. OK, I'm, I'm licensed to sell alcohol. How hard there can this are, be? Uh, there are a lot of very interesting laws related to alcohol beverage selling in the state of Arkansas. And I have a lot of licenses and I've learned a lot about that. Um, more than any man probably, should know. Probably more than I really ever cared to learn about, but I learned a lot about it. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, Krakus, our Krakus to go location out at the Westgate side, right next to McDonald's. We do uh, mostly po' boys and some gumbo and, and etouffee and things like that there. But really the big news over there is uh, Lob Lolly ice cream. So, you know, one of the things that, uh, we decided to add over there was ice cream by the scoop. Um, there, you know, wasn't any place to get ice cream around here. Uh, Lob Lolly was just voted <laughs> the best ice cream in Arkansas. I, uh, you know, I know the owner there. We've been selling Lob Lolly ice cream at the BI for quite a while, and uh, so we decided to start doing ice cream by the scoop uh, over there at Krakus, and it's been very, very successful. And I think will it will cause us to expand our hours there really? uh, into the evenings, especially going into the fall. We're adding some lighted seating outside on the, on those picnic tables. It's going to be very, very cool. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because people ask me this all the time. It's like, well, why did you decide, you know, you want to have ice cream? It's like, cause I wanted some ice cream. <laughs> let, let me, I, but I tell you what, and, and I, I'm, I know that Randy and I are looking at this a little bit differently, but I mean, you're in the trenches, you're in the middle of it and we're just interviewing you, but at the same time, come back about a mile or a two mile view Krakus would be Cajun delicacy. How, how would you define that? Krakus, I would call a kind of a uh, kind of a general Cajun, you know, I would say general Cajun food. So kind of the most mainstream Cajun food, like gumbo, like a shrimp po' boy, an oyster po' boy, you know, things like that. It's really that location is really designed to be our kind of pick up and go location. Uh, you know, we are opening or have opened a new Cajun full service restaurant on the other. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of yourself. But yeah, I mean, it's really designed to be kind of our to-go location. A lot of people come in there and buy quarts of gumbo or whatever to take home, have, you know, for dinner or whatever, heat up later, all of those sort of things. So it's really designed for that. And we got great po' boy sandwiches there with real New Orleans bread from Gambino's and all Mm. of that stuff over there. So it is fabulous. One of my favorites, that's for sure. It's fabulous. As you come in the gate, there's this big golf course on the left-hand side, and then there's something right behind that. Yeah, there's the DeSoto Golf Course, uh, which uh, we leased that restaurant facility in April um, at DeSoto. We use that as our central commissary, so we do all of our inventory control there, all of our centralized deliveries from all our vendors are there. We have our prep kitchen there um, at that location as well. Really happy to announce that uh, John Westerman Westerman is back with us, oh, really? um, working with us at the DeSoto. Uh, so she's in charge of the DeSoto kitchen and also catering uh, that we do from that kitchen. And we have quite a few catered events uh, that we do at DeSoto and elsewhere. And so she's managing that catering process as well there at DeSoto. So do DeSoto I, is I have- open uh, every day for lunch primarily. We open around 11 or we're open until 6. Um, so you can stop in. We've got burgers and sandwiches and a couple of po' boys and some salads and things like that at DeSoto right now um, that you can get. And we're open every day. The golf course is open. So if the golf course is open, we're going to be open. And, and so I think gonna- that explains a lot of problems because a lot of people are like, well, why isn't the restaurant open? If the golf course is open, you're yeah, open. Golf- if it's a rainy like today, day. Like the golf course is closed today, tomorrow, and Wednesday at DeSoto. They're doing some maintenance or something. So we're closed today, tomorrow, and Wednesday at DeSoto. 
you know, we try to stay and, and be open whenever there are people that want to come spend money. That's really my job. Right. And so, uh, you know, some days we may close a half hour early if there's nobody on the course and there's nobody coming in, but generally we're open from 11 to six at DeSoto every day of the week, the golf course is open. So seven days a week, if the golf course is open, we're there. Uh, we do a lot of event programming at DeSoto. So we've done quite a few very large events there, uh, 150, 200 people events, catered dinners. Um, we did the couples golf tournament there on Friday. We did another luncheon on Friday there. We do a lot of those events and we're, we're booking fast for all kinds of Christmas parties and everything else at DeSoto. I mean, it is a beautiful venue. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're having a lot of the events that used to be held at the Coronado Center are all moving over to DeSoto now uh, just because the venue is so much nicer um, at DeSoto and we can, we can seat about 250 people uh, mm -hmm. over there. So I think that's going to become a really, really good uh, place for that uh, sort of event. And we got some cool plans, which I'm not really, really ready to announce yet over DeSoto, but um we got some cool stuff coming there. So stay tuned. Later stay, stay tuned. So stay tuned for that in a future presentation. Well, um, let, let me yeah. let me interrupt just for a second. I wanted to come back, but Chef Jana, gonna have to do a little zoom out and zoom back in on that. Randy, mm -hmm. it's hard for you to know. Chef Jana started with a little place just outside the village over behind the medical walk-in clinic and the little Chinese restaurant, and uh just got a cult following, just did fabulous and moved inside and took the DeSoto over and ran it for quite a while. So when you said her name, I, you know, I was like, really, she's back. Amazing. Yeah. So we're really excited about having her back with us. Uh, you know, she went to work with her brother up in Paragol for a little while and is back and, you know, she's been back soon with us about three weeks now or so, I guess. Really? Uh, doing a fabulous job. And, and really, I think it's going to be wonders for what we do at DeSoto moving forward. So um, especially for all the big events that, you know, we're hosting there. Uh, it's going to be great. So as we move westward, what would we find next? The Beehive? So the next location would be the Beehive. Uh, you know, the Beehive is doing great. I mean, the Beehive is our longest location. We've been there now. Be We'll be going on four years, the end of this year. So very, very fun. It's our kind of our cool hangout place. You know, live music. We've had live music every weekend there. Every weekend we've been open. So even all the way through COVID, even when we were restricted to 25%, we had live music still every weekend. We've been open at the Beehive. Uh, we do a lot of shareable play. It's kind of it's more of a gastro pub type of place. It's the largest bar in the village. I mean, we have a very large bar there, which is great. Um, and again, we do a lot of fresh food there, a lot of different things. We do barbecue and tacos and your favorites, uh, the flatbreads, all, all kinds of fun stuff over there at the beehive and you know we have events there a lot of the week we have open mic nights on wednesdays we've got dennis's favorite taco tuesdays uh over there we've got trivia on thursday which is really a lot of fun a lot of folks coming to hang out with that um, and then we do our live music every friday and saturday and then once a month or so we're doing a special event with the uh hot springs jazz society in fact we had one yesterday on a uh, sunday with the inductees, the, the most recent inductees into the Arkansas Jazz Hall of Fame, and it was fabulous. Really? On a Sunday? So yeah. is this an invitation okay. only? Or? We had about 110 people there uh, for this event yesterday. It was fabulous. So I don't know. I don't know, Greg. I, I'm, I'm really a little dubious. Randy, I think you may have heard something about this, but I heard that it was a Wednesday night when it's open mic night. Yeah. And feeling groovy as hosting that apparently they let techies who do podcasts on stage to sing just at a whim. What kind of person does that, Greg? What kind of person yeah, does I, that? I did speak to them about that last week. No. <laughs> yeah, that's something you know, they need to stop. People come up and do all kinds of crazy stuff, tell stories, you know, whatever. I mean, they got to cut that out. They got to cut yeah. that out. Yeah. <laughs> it so, would have been better if Dennis was telling stories as opposed to trying to sing. It would have been. I, I'm trying to sing. You're looking at a music minister. I've done this before, buddy. <laughs> now, maybe not when I had bronchitis and a sinus infection, but, you know, there's that, you know. And Randy's trying to get audio, and I'm like, nah, we're good, Aunt Randy. Just a picture of me up there was good enough. Really. Well, I was trying to get video with audio, but <laughs> the, the, the crowd on our Facebook group, Greg, said, no, nah, you, don't, you don't want that. So As my continuing continuing east, let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's shall we? Shall we? Continuing east, the next one would be the Artfully Baked and Brewed, our our bakery cafe here, uh, right next to the Remax here on DeSoto, which is where I have my office as well. 
Uh, we do, you know, all manner of fresh baked goods, lots of custom coffees. Think of it as kind of your Starbucks for this end of the village. We do, you know, lots of really good sandwiches. And uh, we've applied for an on-premises wine permit, um, which I think is going to be really cool. We'd love to host like some gallery wall kind of things because we have all the local artists on the wall here um, and some book club kinds of things in the afternoons. And you could have a nice glass of wine and, and hang out here. So, you know, that's our, our kind of our plans moving forward for the bakery. So well, we of, of all the places, I think the bakery is a little underrated. I really do. I think it's a really fun place and it just doesn't get a lot of PR. Yeah. It's a cool place. It's got a really cool vibe. And, you know, a lot of people come here every day. I mean, there's, it's like Starbucks, right? We got high speed. We have high speed internet really good. No. <laughs> what so, was the history of, what was the history of starting that, Greg? I meant to ask yeah, you the first so, time we talked to you. Yeah. So this, uh, this building was an old community bank building. Um, community bank sold or closed up. Then Bear State came in here. Bear State got bought by Arvest and Arvest closed it up. So it was pretty much just an empty bank building. I mean, it had been here for a while. And, you know, my wife loves coffee. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe we'll open a coffee shop, right? There's not a coffee shop. I mean, the only coffee you're going to get over here is like, you know, at the gas station. I mean, that's, that's the extent of coffee on the east side. So, so we started looking into it with a guy who bought the building, talked to him about, you know, remodeling a little bit and, it's worked out really, really fabulous. Her vision was, you know, really the, the gist of, of making this go, you know, and, and working with the local artists. We have a lot of cool stuff. It's painted yellow and purple and all kinds of cool artsy looking stuff. And she's got, you know, little chandeliers. I mean, it's a very cool looking place inside, um, you know, so I think it, 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 it kind of has its own personality. Um, and, you know, the personality of, you know, a lot of the customers that come here, we have, like I said, a lot that come you know, here more than once a week uh, would have been great if we could figure out how to do a drive through, but unfortunately the building just didn't lend itself to that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we're doing, doing great things over here with the, uh, with coffees and some great boar's head sandwiches and baked goods. I, and things I, like that. I think one of the biggest things you can say about that is typically by noon or two o'clock, it's sold out. The, you, you, I mean, Randy, yeah. the, literally the shelves are empty, not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we sell out of the baked goods quite early and we're, we're trying to stock more and try to do a little bit more. So we do have at least something uh, when people come in later. And so I coffee, think it's coffee and ice, bit. coffee and ice cream. And of course you started the beehive. I mean, these are all an entrepreneur who's trying to solve his own problems. Well, you know why I started the beehive? Cause I, I, I think I told that story before I was, you know, with some friends late at night and we wanted to go somewhere for a drink and there wasn't any place. So Again, that's why we started the Beehive. So, so yeah. let, let's let's recap, Randy. Ran, drinking ice cream, coffee, and and uh, what was it? Bakeries. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and well, and kind of next would be food. Food. <laughs> food. Me and food go way back. We're like this. We we go way back. And I don't see a change. I'm figuring the whole from here on out. I'm planning on being with food, Randy. I mean, that's just that's my plan. But if I were to sashay south across Balboa Dam or, or nearly to Balboa Dam, I would be at at the lakeside and explore lakeside. And that's kind of our, our premier restaurant, right? We do our steaks, we do our seafood there. We got some great burgers there. Fantastic deck out looking out over the water, right? I mean, it is a place to go and have a really good dinner. The upstairs, we have a beautiful upstairs dining room that looks out over the lake. We do a lot of events there too. We have a lot of club meetings to meet there um, as well. So, you know, it's kind of our, our premier restaurant uh, over there at the lake. You know, like our other restaurants, we make everything from scratch. We do lots of fresh seafood, lots of fresh, you know, steaks and things like that. And some of the best burgers I think I've ever had. I mean, we have great burgers over there. Well, I want to go back to the Mile High View for just a second. Yeah. This was a, a Western-themed restaurant five years ago. Yeah. And and just, Randy, for those of you are just listening or, you know, haven't seen or whatever, as you walk in, you're right on the shores of the deepest end of the lake. You're right beside the dam. Okay. And as you walk in, you look out and uh, nothing but as far as you can see is the rest of the lake. Then as you walk out, there's a beautiful deck out on that side that you recently, I'm assuming, paid a lot of money to rebuild, it looks oh, like. Yeah. Uh, redid the kitchen, everything. But there is an upstairs from there that, I've been, thank you, Greg, that I sometimes use as a private meeting space, you know, lunch or something like that. And we'll just invite a couple of friends up and it's got the same stunning view and there's nobody bothering you. And it's just it's a really, really nice place. I can't express that enough. It's, it's one of the premier spaces in the village. It is. It's the only lakeside restaurant in the village. So it is the <clears> lakeside <throat> restaurant here in Hot Springs Village. Yeah. And then if we stagger a little bit further east, we would be at Isabella or would we Granada. be at Granada? Granada would be next. 
Uh, Granada, I think, is the prettiest golf course here um, in the village. It's beautiful. It's got this beautiful waterfall on 18. I mean, it's a really, really nice. has a great, you know, kind of almost a South Carolina look to it on the hmm. outside. Uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful facility. Uh, you know, and so that facility has it has a not a really big kitchen, but a workable kitchen. Um, and we have just recently open, opened our uh, Krakus Cajun Seafood Kitchen there. So at Granada now, during the day, we have a lot of the po'boys and burgers and sandwiches and things like we might have at the to-go location. But in the evenings, we've got fresh seafood. We've got redfish. We've got snapper. We've got steaks, uh, you know, in the evenings over there and a whole bunch of other type of Cajun food as well. Um, we got huge bowls of shrimp cocktails and lots of lots of really good stuff there. So that's kind of our premier Cajun restaurant. So we talked a little bit about our to-go location. Um, this is kind of the extension of that into a restaurant. Um, and my new partner, Danny, uh, is running that location, doing a fabulous job, creating all kinds of really cool Cajun cuisine. Uh, we've got even got like red velvet cake and bourbon pecan pie that Melody makes for us over there. And, you know, some really, really good stuff. And so, uh beautiful restaurant. We've been working on redecorating it as well. We've, you know, done a lot of work to try to bring it up to speed in terms of the kitchen and things like that. And I think that's going to turn into, you know, one of the nicer restaurants out here in the village, um, you know, over the next two, three months, probably as we kind of continue that process. And it's well, open right now for dinner only Thursday through Saturday, because that's the only staff I have. Can get, I understand. And, yeah. well, and, and let, let me, let me, uh, I really don't want to fixate on social media. I really don't. But there's things that I think we might just ought to address or just say something about. Uh, Diane and I had the opportunity to have the red snapper probably a week or a week and a half ago or something like that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not food snobs by any stretch, but, you know, we're just kind of, you know, playing it as we see it. I, I took her to Emile's in, uh, uh, in Baton, I mean, in Louis in uh, New Orleans. And she was like, eh, I'd, I could just have spaghetti, you know, that just didn't, that didn't impress her. You know, we sat down and had the red snapper and, and both of us just semi misty eyed went, this is one of the greatest meals I've ever had in my life. I mean, it literally was in one of the top 10 meals. Now that said it was 28 bucks, but we split that and we're not, you know, we're not big order eaters. You know, we don't just, you know, stuff ourselves. It was a lot of food. We weren't hungry at all. And we had a little left over. but I can see somebody go, wow, $28 for an entree. That's, that's kind of pricey. And I'm like, I don't know if you've been to the big city lately, but that's maybe kind of what things are doing, right? I mean, or you've even tried to price fresh fish, um, you know, yeah. the cost of fresh fish these days. Um, you know, I think our menu items are, are pretty much on point price wise. Uh, we do look at market price and we do actually mark those down a fair amount between what I might charge if we were in a bigger market, like even like in Little Rock for being out here try to have a little bit more value for the village residents, but you know, there's a certain point we kind of, we kind of have to make money. You know, we don't, you know, it's, it's unlike the, when they were run before by the POA, right. Where the POA was subsidizing the food cost almost 50%, you know, on the menu price. Um, unfortunately the POA is not writing me any of those checks. And so, uh, so I, I don't have a food subsidy budget that I can use, you know, to, to write down any menu prices. And so we have to price it you know, effectively at, at a market price uh, where we can at least make money to operate the restaurant. Is there not a, is there not a government agency you could contact about this and get a check from them? Cause I think they're giving these checks away kind of right and left these days. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, we did receive some money from the restaurant recovery fund, which was great and really helped us get over, you know, some of the debt that we incurred through COVID, which was great. I mean, that was a great uh -huh. thing for them to do uh, along with a lot of other restaurants around here also got that as well. Um, so, I mean, that was a, a good thing, but I mean, we still, you know, at this point we have to operate at a profit, you know, in order to continue operation. So there, there wasn't a redfish compensation check in there anywhere. No, and no. I don't get any kind of monthly, you know, <laughs> stipend or anything like that. Right. I mean, it's kind of, okay, we gave you some money to make up for, you know, the issues you had when you had to close, but now you're kind of on your own and make it go. Right. So that's kind of where we are today. And you said I had Thursday a, through Saturday were the hours for that restaurant. We are open. Uh, we're open every day of the week when the golf course is open there for lunch. Okay. Um, so we have, uh, you know, sort of the same sort of things we have to go. We have some uh, po' boys. We have 
burgers and chicken sandwiches and salads and things like that and soup uh, over there. And those are available every day that the, that the golf course is open. In addition to that, we serve our dinner entrees starting at four o'clock from four to eight uh, Thursday through Saturday there. So the fresh seafood, steaks, things like that are only available <laughs> Thursday through Saturday night. Uh, the rest of the menu is available every other day, all the other hours. Does that open roughly? I mean, because the, the golf course opens at eight or whatever, right? But y'all don't yeah, open we open 10. at 1030 yeah. uh, over there. And generally, I mean, we may be there early and we sometimes will sell a bottle of water, sodas, Gatorades, things like that to golfers, mm-hmm. you know, okay. that are going out early. Uh, but that our general hours are to be open at 1030 uh, till six. Well, and last but not least is going to be Isabella. And I personally think, you know, there's no question Granada has every makings of a world-class restaurant. And I mean that as in just awesome, but you know, Isabella is just, it's, it's so, how do I say utilitarian? I mean, it could make anything. So what do you choose to do there? Yeah. So Isabella has the smallest kitchen of all our facilities. Um, you know, it's very small, very small kitchen space and very limited storage, which is probably the bigger challenge over there. And so at Isabella, we're doing kind of more of a diner format. So we're doing breakfast and burgers and sandwiches. And, you know, we're going to continue to kind of expand on that menu. In fact, we were having some discussions about that today, um, about how we can expand the Isabella diner concept and have more food, uh, you know, that we can make in that small kitchen. Uh, so that's really our biggest challenge there um, is the size of the kitchen and the amount of storage that we have. I mean, it's really not a kitchen that's equipped where you could really have an entree style dinner. It's just too small. So over there, we're open from breakfast through lunch primarily every day, seven days a week. We open at 730 in the morning over there. So you can go over there and get, you know, eggs and biscuits and all that kind of good stuff, burgers at lunch and all of that. Um, and we close around 330 over there unless there's a, you know, a, a, a big group coming in or something that we talk to in advance and we can stay open later for them. Um, so we're really focused on making it more of a diner format. And if you haven't been there lately, you'll see that we've done some painting. We've kind of spruced it up a little bit. I would love to change out the countertop. And again, I've been trying to get somebody over there just to measure it for over six weeks and I haven't been able to get anybody there yet. So, you know, at some point we'll get the countertop, I hope updated and make it a little bit more modern than it currently looks. But right now we kind of have to deal with what we have. And, you know, we have a lot of old equipment over there from the POA, which is also a challenge. Like uh, the big, the, the keg cooler, the spare keg cooler that we had has been out for three weeks while we're waiting to try to get a replacement uh, unit or get the POA to fix it. And we haven't really gotten anywhere with that. So, you know, so we're doing our best to try to keep as much beer cold as we can, but that's, that's a challenge when we just don't have the storage for it. Right. So, so, I mean, I think that's, you know, we're, we're going to continue kind of the diner format there. Uh, we may eventually extend the hours a little bit later, but one of the things I would say to, you know, about the golf courses is that we have groups, you know, couples golf, lots of other groups that come through and if they call and let us know, I mean, they'll, they'll let me know like a week in advance. We have some that are scheduled, you know, out two, three months, if they'll tell us, hey, we got 40 people, we're playing golf at four o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to be in at 630, will you be open? Sure. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure out how we can stay open and service those folks, you know, and get them food and beer and drinks and whatever else they want. Um, and we can do that, you know, if we kind of know in advance that they're coming um, and, and we can extend our hours kind of accordingly to, to handle that. I mean, we had, you know, a group like that at Isabella over the weekend, right? I mean, there's not a problem with us staying open if we know that, you know, you've got a group coming and, you know, we can plan on it. So. Well, Randy, I have to tell you a story on Greg here. We, we were walking into the beehive one night. It was a Wednesday night. It was just an ordinary Wednesday night. Didn't think anything about it. And 40 golfers had told each other, Hey, let's meet at the beehive about nine o'clock. They were winding down from the trivia show and 40 new diners came in hungry, ready, thirsty, and ready to eat and drink. And y'all were virtually out of food or getting real low on food. And I mean, I'm like, the message here cannot be reiterated enough. Call ahead. Let us know you're coming and we will make arrangements, you know. We did. And we managed to get them, you know, some great food and they had a good time and all that. Right. Even though our kitchen, you know, on a Wednesday is going to close around 930. We stayed open until I don't know. I don't know how long we were there. Probably a while, at least 1030 probably. But, uh, you know, we'll try to accommodate everybody as much as possible. You know, I mean, it's, 
you know, it's there, there are some good things about having multiple locations. You know, the beehive does get extremely busy on the weekends and we have people that come up there on a Saturday and we, we take reservations on Fridays and Saturdays and, and book up almost every table. Um, and we'll have people that'll come and they'll like, I got 12 people. I'm like, well, I'm really sorry. We don't have any room for you, but how about going to Lakeside? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we have places that we can send them, which is a great advantage to us here in the village. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the advantages of having more than one restaurant, whether it's our restaurant or somebody else's restaurant is that they did have another alternative, right? I mean, it no. wasn't like this was the only restaurant and it was full and now you got to drive to hot springs, right? Uh, it, you know, nothing, nothing, literally nothing is worse than all the advertising, all the promotion, all the podcast, all the everything for somebody to get there. And then you go, sorry, we're full, full up. Got to go somewhere else. Right. You know? right. So and we can heard- try to accommodate those people as much as possible and, and, you know, the Beehive is open late. We're the latest restaurant in the village. I mean, we're up 10, 11, 12 o'clock. What? Uh, 10 o'clock? Have, what? Yeah. We have people that wander in from Dallas, you know, all the time. It's like, and, and we're not going to send them to Sonic and McDonald's. We're just not. Right. We're, we're going to try to find something to fix them to eat and get them something to drink, if at all possible. Right. Now, I, I heard. I heard over the weekend that you had my twin daughter, granddaughters, uh, doing disco dancing is what, and I, I haven't turned you in yet, Greg, Greg, but you know, I, the point to be made at the beehive, it literally is fun for everybody. You, you, I, we, you and I have seen 95 year old ladies come in, have a glass of wine and get up and start drinking and have a great time. Oh, yeah. and, and my three-year-old granddaughters in the floor playing with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they were they were up at the stage. Uh, the singer Erica Jones, it was Erica Jones in the brass tacks on Saturday, and she was out. She has a portable microphone. She's out in the audience dancing with them and singing. They were having a fantastic time. Now, yeah, so, silly is. Diane and I, we were in dinner in, in Little Rock having a fine dinner, but no, we should have been at, back at home at the Beehive <laughs> where things were happening up here. And we have a lot of families come there. A lot of you know, a lot of young people as well i mean it, it's a it is a fun place to hang out it's exactly what i had always hoped it would turn into right? well it's it's an awesome thing it really is and i'll tell you what i i want to wrap it up here randy did you have any other questions you wanted to bring up no i guess i would just give i would give you an opportunity greg i, I was and i'll set it i'll set it up this way i was in a meeting with a business owner this was in another lifetime and my boss who happened to be the president of a company was there and he was making a few critical statements to this business owner. And it's a line that has always stuck with me and the business owner, and I could have kissed him for it because I didn't much like my boss. Um, at the time, at the time I was a young guy, but the business owner said, you know, the difference between me and you, I'm betting with my money that I'm right. And it is always just, it is always just stuck with me. So as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, who's betting with your own money that you're right. I don't know. No, none of us have a crystal ball, but describe your optimism. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's somewhat true. I mean, I I would say that my general optimism, I'm very visionary and there's a lot of cool stuff I'd like to do in the village well beyond where we're at now. Right. And as they say, the pioneers take the arrows and I'm, I know I'm going to take those arrows and that's okay. Right. Um, But we're going to, we're going to forge ahead and we're going to do, you know, the best we can, we're going to try to make things as good as we can make them. And I think there's a lot of opportunity here, you know, in our area, you know, for, for what we're doing here. And so that's what kind of keeps me going. My wife will tell you, she, she mentioned this the other day, we, we're sponsoring a race car, sprint car, guy that drives sprint cars here in the village. And we had him over at the restaurant on Saturday and, and he was asking me about something and, you know, about some idea or whatever. And she said something to him like, uh, oh yeah, by the time Greg mentions it to me, He's already like 20 miles down the road. He's already got it figured out. He's already talked to somebody. He's already got this working, right? He's, he's always ahead of the game, right, on those things, even though it may still be a while off before it happens. But he, he's already got things on the way, right, by the time anybody's going to know what, what's going on. And, and I think that's really the key to kind of being an entrepreneur is you really have to think ahead. You have to have the passion to make it happen. You have to have passionate people that work for you. Um, and you got to put your money where your mouth is. I mean, we've, we put a lot of money into, you know, these restaurants here and, and I, I know they're going to be successful. And, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the support of, you know, the village and all of our customers. I get comments, hundreds of them every week. Um, you know, how appreciative they are, of what we're doing and, and how we're, 
you know, making, making a difference and, and doing the right kinds of things. And that's, that's really what keeps me going. Right? Well, I think, I think Tricia and Diana and Rhonda could all have a support group of husbands yeah. who have already made plans. And I just didn't quite tell you about it yet. Hang on. I got this idea, Randy. Am I getting somebody in here that maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And people are going to be able to see that car, aren't they? This coming Saturday. Yeah, uh, this Saturday, right? actually, we're doing a big uh, event over the Beehive. Their driver's going to be there. He's going to bring a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, we're having a kid's event there and things like that. I mean, that I didn't know a lot about sprint cars. I mean, I knew this guy, Mike Valachek. He lives actually over by the Beehive. And he used to come over there, you know, with his daughters. Again, it's kind of like, you know, like Dennis was saying, he's got two young daughters. And they come over and have a good time and, and that sort of thing. And I did not know he was a, owned a sprint car team, right? Or they raced all over the Southwest. I had no idea. And uh, he approached me a few months ago about this. I'm like, hey, that would be really cool, you know, to to sponsor our, you know, I mean, he's local. He's right here with us, right? I mean, he'd be a great guy. And awesome. I learned a lot about sprint cars and how, you know, 760 horsepower, zero to 102.4 seconds. And, you know, it's like, and you ride in that thing? And <laughs> I mean, I, I it's like, the drive shaft like runs right between your legs, right underneath the driver's seat. I mean, that's brave. That's brave right there. That's brave. If you use the brakes too much, then he'd get <laughs> a suntan on your butt. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I think if I go to the Greg Jones Facebook page, I may see a rat rod right behind him in that picture. Am I mistaken? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, 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 maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, a great thing. I mean, we're, you know, we, we try to support lots of people in the village, lots of, we, we support lots of charities, you know, all, all kinds of things here. And, uh, you know, we're really, you know, proud to be part of this community and, and where it's headed. And, you know, we, we look forward to the future here. I have, I have one question, Greg, and it never, I've never asked you this before and all the times we've talked and it, this literally just hit me. It, and I can't believe I'm even asking it. It could be possible. We've looked at the village and, and everybody has such a stereotype of us as a golf community. Right. That could be just a small portion of portion of what we do. I mean, it could be an entertainment and food community, right? I agree. I don't play golf. I do, I do entertainment and food though, Dennis. <laughs> That's what I hear tell. That's what I hear tell. <laughs> Well, for Randy Contrell, Dennis Simpson, and Mr. Greg Jones for Hot Springs Village Inside Out, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Greg, anything you want to shamelessly promote at the last minute? No, I think, you know, just eat out, eat often, eat local. <laughs> and, 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 and pay what we're going to have to charge you because we don't want to have to charge you that much, right? <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.